Welcome, Choose Love listeners. Thanks for joining us today. The Choose Love movement offers essential life skills, including character, social, emotional development to every individual. We aren't born with these. We have to learn them, and they give us the ability to have healthy relationships, manage our emotions, grow through the difficulties we face in life, be happy, and flourish. Please check out our free programs for pregnant moms, infant toddlers, school-age kids, homes, communities, and even businesses. The Choose Love movement began with a brave young boy, my son Jesse's final chalkboard message of nurturing, healing love. With your help, in just five years, we've grown to being in over 10,000 schools in every state and over 100 countries. Join the movement to choose love in your community and help make the world a safer, more peaceful and loving place. I am so excited today to be speaking with Arthur Schwartz. Arthur is currently the president of character.org. I'm honored as well to serve on the board of directors of character.org. Our mission is to provide the voice, visibility, and resources for educators to build nurturing and supportive school cultures that focus on a set of core values and character strengths vital to school success. Character.org is widely known for its 11 principles framework for schools, a guide to cultivating a character-inspired culture developed by school leaders and character education researchers, and of course, also their annual forum, which is widely attended by educators from all over the world, virtual in October of this year, and everyone needs to go and check it out. So I am going to read uh, a little bit about Arthur, who has the absolutely coolest background, and you'll see why I'm in love with him when you listen to a short summary I grabbed from the character.org website. For 15 years, Arthur was an executive at the John Templeton Foundation, where he had the opportunity to catalyze research on youth purpose, forgiveness, gratitude, altruism, and grit. He also collaborated with Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania to energize the field of positive psychology. He proudly served as the senior scholar at the United States Air Force Academy, where he chaired the team that developed the Academy's current conceptual framework for developing leaders of character. Most recently, he served as a professor of leadership studies and founding director of the Oskins Leadership Institute at Widener University. Arthur's current research focuses on the dynamics of moral courage. He received his doctorate in adolescent moral development from Harvard University. Welcome, Arthur. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Scarlett. I just can now just check this off my bucket list. I'm uh, on your <laughs> podcast. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Oh, it's such an honor to have you. Thank you so much. Um, we intersect in so many different ways. Uh, you've been in this a lot longer than I have, but um, your background is, is so amazing. It's exactly what the world needs today. And, uh, and I'll just start off by sharing one of your favorite quotes that mm -hmm. you uh, also had on the website that you say continues to shape your daily thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Uh, the quote is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That is so true. 
And my team knows that I've often talked about the difference between kindness and caring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kindness is so widely advertised, but I have this feeling that caring is even more important. Mm. Do you agree? Oh, it is so much more important. Look, I want to state that I think we would be better off if we had no more you know, acts of kindness in the world. So it's not that I'm, I'm saying that those behaviors uh, are not important, but kindness toward what? And it's kindness toward caring and compassion and, and empathy. Those are the virtues. Those are the core values that we need to develop in young people. By the way, it's not just young people. My research on leadership is that no one gets promoted because they've been kind or they've been caring, right? We only care about performance. So a lot of times people in roles of, of leadership, of power, of influence are just not nice people. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but they're a-holes at times. And, and so this idea of caring, of being a, a caring leader, what I would call a servant leader, where you care about others more than you care about yourself and more than you care about your own particular goals is so important for us to sort of you know, develop at a younger age. And so this idea of, of caring for a friend, the idea of caring for the culture of the classroom that you're in, uh, that it's not about me, 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 it's really about us and it's about creating this caring community among your friends, peer groups, and then school community. That's why I think caring is just sort of so much more important than just a, a simple act of kindness. So is that something that can be taught? Yes, of course. First <laughs> off, uh, these acts of caring uh, that go beyond just, you know, sort of keeping the door open for someone or, or smiling or saying thank you, uh, being kind uh, are first modeled in the home. It's it, it really is the parent and care providers first and responsibility to say we we are we are a caring family. We are we are, who care for each other and then we care for those outside of our home. And so I think it starts in the family and then it has to be fostered and it has to be really valued and reinforced in the in in the school and. Uh, by each and every, not just teacher, but every staff, every adult person in the building to realize, how are you doing today? You know, it, it's sort of um, one of the things that are not in my bio, Scarlett, that is so important to me is I taught at the school district of Philadelphia and by happen chance, I en ended up directing the dropout prevention programs in my early 30s for the school district of Philadelphia. And I didn't really know what to do. And I went to a conference in Washington, D.C. years ago. And I talked to somebody who had been doing this in Chicago for a number of years. He said, there's only one thing that works for me. And I said, what's that? Go into a high school building. And the first child that you see, the first young person you see, pull her or him aside and ask this single question. And you will know whether or not this person, this student, uh, is going to graduate or not. One question. And the question was, who at this school cares about you, not related to your academic work, but cares about you as a person? And if that student say, oh, well, it's Mrs. Smith who works in the cafeteria, that child is more likely to graduate than if he or she looks at you and says, no one cares for me. So we know how important caring is to, 
to success, to, to, to achievement. It is the, it's undergirds everything. You need to feel cared for. You need to feel safe. You need to care that someone cares about you. And there's an expectation that young people have when they know they are cared for in that way. Wow. That's incredible right there. Um, drop the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it works. I mean, it, it just works because you know, too many, look, in elementary schools, I think there is that caring environment. But once you get into the middle school, and especially in high school, we care more about getting the kids career ready, or college ready, than character ready. And we know that part of character is that caring, that compassion. And so why do we spend so much time getting them career ready or college ready, and not focusing on that core value of caring. You know, JT obviously lost his little brother in a tragedy and he would come home. He was in seventh grade. So from seventh to 12th grade, he would come home and he would slam his books down on the table. He'd say, nobody cares about me. And I would say, oh, JT, you know, this was after, you know, a major tragedy. There were a few victim siblings that were kind of the focus, you know, and, and I said, oh, JT, I just got off with all of your teachers. I mean, they're, 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 you know, giving you extra time and they're, you know, trying to help you and, and they care. He, and he, he absolutely said, no, they don't. And it turned mm. out that in the end, nobody had asked him how he was. Yeah. And, and when I asked them why they didn't do that, they said, well, we were afraid that we, we didn't, you know, yeah. what if he said he wasn't okay and we didn't have the skills that, that we needed, or, you know, they just didn't want to open that can of worms. Yeah. But it's that, it's, it's, as you said, that, that simple question, how are you? And yeah. then it's, it's not just, and then I realized, well, it's not just how are you because, you know, we could have opened this. Hey, Arthur, how you doing? And you'd say, I'm good. And then we'd go on. And then, you know, I, 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 if I really cared, I would say, no, really, Arthur, how are you? Yeah. How are you doing? So, so maybe it's asking it twice. <laughs> That's yeah. what I came up with. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, <laughs> there's so many ways of going about it, you know, so tell me about one rose in your life, you know, want something that's really fully blossomed, you know, you know, could you use the word flourishing coming from flower, right? Yes. Tell me about one bud, something that you're doing that is really, you know, just developing, but you're excited about it. And then also tell me about a thorn, mm. you know, tell me about something that's not so good. But there it is. There's the relationship. And it's just three questions to get beyond, you know, how are you doing, right? It's, it, it's caring about each and every person. And look, we know this from schools that, that at, all we're talking about is one adult in the building, right? And yes. sometimes it can be the sports coach. Sometimes it can be the counselor. Sometimes it can be a teacher. We're just talking about one adult who really has that young person's back and her soul and really cares about her beyond the grade. And that's where I think it's so important to build this, this culture of character that starts with sort of caring. You know, it, it is for us in terms of you talked about the, you know, the 11 principles, uh, you know, it is principle number four for us, you know, create a caring community. So how do you measure that? How do you go about developing that so critical to not just success in academics, but in terms of the character development of the young person? 
So you just, you just touched on something. Uh, it's critical to not just success in academics because there's research that shows that when you implement this in schools in an intentional way, that it does translate into academic success. So if that's the goal, then, then why, why aren't we more focused on this yeah. in schools? Again, I think it comes back to what gets measured gets emphasized. And what gets measured are test scores. So we have to focus on that. And until we begin to understand that there are different measurement uh, platforms that can get at the character, the young person in terms of her flourishing, uh, we have a way to go. I'll give you a quick example. A dear friend of mine, Maurice Elias, uh, teaches at Rutgers University. He's working with middle school students on having them understand the importance of purpose. Now, the, their purpose may, to be, may be to be a, 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 you know, a ballet dancer or an NBA player. That's okay, because that's going to drive their intention. That's going to drive their behavior. Uh, but not everybody wakes up in the morning and wants to get an A in a particular, in algebra or in, in a particular subject. So we have to really begin to look at the whole child in a way that is measurable, right? How is this child developing her purpose? I'm not saying there needs to be a test, a grade, you know, 81, or, but there needs to be alternative assessments so we know how she is developing or flourishing as, as beyond just her, you know, that fact that she's re career ready or college ready. And we know that this type of learning does get them Yes. Career, college ready and career ready. Yes. 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 Exactly. You know, how many, how many athletes, male and female, you know, had to pass certain uh, classes and get certain grades and a certain test score to, to do what they love, which is to play their sport or to dance or whatever they want to do. Um, and so it is a driver in terms of this purpose, but right now it's not measured in school. So it's de-emphasized. And I think that it would help students get more out of their school experience. Like for me, it was an obstacle that I had to get through to get to the other side to what I really wanted to do. And I kind of just did it rotely without any passion. I just kind of got through it. And, and what, what kind of a waste of opportunity that was. Mm. Well, I want to say something right now. I'm going to just... Uh kickstart a conversation in a different direction. I uh, have been uh, teaching a lot of college students recently and uh, over the, you know, the last 10 years, and I have them write a letter of gratitude to a, an adult in their life that they never formally thanked. And it's mm. usually just because when you're in fourth grade, you don't think about thanking your fourth grade teacher or your coach in seventh grade. I mean, it's just not something that you think about. And I have, and it's a letter, right? So they have to find the person's home address or work address, school address. And they, they are just invited to say thank you because this teacher, this coach, this person made a difference in their life. And so I just think that if, you know, the teachers who are listening right now, if you could, you know, um, invite your, even if it's a fifth grade and, you know, invite your fifth graders to write a letter of gratitude to somebody in their life, not mom or dad, not brother or sister, some out, someone outside that, that family, 
but it could be an uncle, but it also could be a next door neighbor. It could be um, my son when he did it the first time, he wrote it to the father of one of his best friends who just really meant a lot to him mm, and helped him. That. And so there's just a lot of different people you could write. So a letter of gratitude is a way of cultivating in your classroom, in your school, uh, this sense of saying thank you to teachers who have made a difference in your life. That's so beautiful. And you've done research on gratitude. Yeah, I have. <laughs> it's, um, um, I worked for Sir John Templeton. I was his fifth employee and he had a lot of maxims, Scarlett, a lot of sayings. And um, the one that has meant most to me and most to my family now, because I just try to practice it, is an attitude of gratitude creates blessings. And so I believe gratitude is kind of twofold. It, it is, uh, you know, vertical gratitude. A lot of people who pray, a lot of people who, who feel that there's a higher power, uh, you know, thank that higher power. But then there is also horizontal gratitude, and that's the gratitude to each other. So I am constantly challenging myself to reach out to people to say thank you to them who are just not expecting it. It builds me up. It helps me. But the research is clear. It just helps us be well. It helps us to flourish. And so I am just a big, big cheerleader for gratitude. Um, it's not Pollyannish to me. It's something that is part of my identity, part of the character that I am striving to be. Uh, so I'm, I just think anybody who wants to sort of start their own gratitude practice, I know you will reap the benefits. It's so funny. I had, a, I had a, a good friend of mine reach out to me. She's having a really hard time uh, with her kids and they've gone through a lot of divorce and all sorts of other trauma. And she was asking me for advice and I was thinking, oh my gosh, okay, all the research I've done and I run the Choose Love movement, I've got it. This has got to be really profound. And I landed on gratitude. I landed on doing a gratitude practice for them. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, we know there are benefits and and especially those who are children who are angry, the children who are frustrated, you know, they have to see the goodness in in life as well. And that's what gratitude does. It just uh, it's so important. It, and it just takes us out of ourselves and, and realizes that we do have a support, even if it's just one friend that she loves me, that she cares about me. And that is something that can buoy me, that can really lift me up. So. Absolutely. And I will say uh, it does take courage to be <laughs> grateful when things aren't going your way. And you've done, uh, you're doing uh, research on moral courage. I would love to hear about that. Yeah, it's something that I started when I was at the Air Force Academy 10 years ago. Uh, it was uh, related back then to uh, the honor code at the Air Force Academy, I will not lie, steal, or cheat, nor tolerate anyone among us who does. That's the code. And there would be many cadets who would not lie or steal or cheat, but if they knew of someone who was, that what we call the toleration clause, they would not, they would look away. They would just not say anything, even though they had this code said that, you know, no, this is something that's beyond just your friend and beyond just uh, your own behavior. And so I just was back then asked to understand why some cadets would stand up and say, hey, man, you got to go do something about 
your behavior right here, uh, or I'm going to say something, right? Because it's it's usually the moral courage just to speak to your friend, right? To say you 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 can't bring that into the test. It's wrong, man. You can't do that. Right. And so why do some young people stand up or speak out, and others look the other way or turn their back? And there are many reasons uh, for uh, why some do and 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 some don't. Some of it is personality. It's it's you know their conscious conscientiousness, right? You know, they, when they see a wrong, they just, <laughs> they just, it, it bothers them. They can't just let it go. Um, others of them, it's because of the way they were raised. It's because of, of this was instilled in them as part of their character, part of their identity. Um, others, it's because, again, this is why we bring people into schools and have them listen to exemplars, people who were if you will, whistleblowers, right? Uh, I'm not talking to a third grader here, but but you know, people who are sort of exemplars who can tell us that this is why I stood up and and spoke out. And so there's many different uh, reasons why, but at the end of the day, it comes down to this is part of the young person's developing identity. It's who she wants to be, an honest person, a person who made a pledge to be a certain way to to adhere to a certain code. Uh, and it's that identity at the end of the day that we're trying to develop into e for each and every person, young person, that this is my sort of North Star. You know, this is my moral compass. Uh, it's not something borrowed from my faith. It's not borrowed from my parents. It's me. This is what I stand for. When that young person has that kind of belief, she's more willing and more likely to stand up when she sees a wrong. And I wonder if you could also teach that when you do that, when you call out someone who's lying, cheating, stealing, you're actually helping that person as well rise to the occasion. That's really hard because that person is usually your friend, not yeah. all the time, but usually your friend around sexual harassment, right? There's just a lot of men who young men who just can't look their friend in the eye and say that's wrong man stop it right because it's just what's going to happen to their friendship and so much of their identity is is bound in that friendship right that connection to the to this group of men or a group of women and so it's going beyond that the tyranny of they of the they it's what it's called Scarlett, they made me do it right as if you had no control over your own behavior they made me do it right uh, and that's what we need to to uh really foster and cultivate is this sense of this compass this moral compass that you own that's yours it's not dependent on friendship it's not dependent on anyone but your own belief your own standard of what the kind of person you want to be and so that's personal responsibility, right? Yeah. For who you are, for the decisions that you make and where you're going. Yeah, and, and, and that's where SEL stands uh, is so important. And so let me just tell you, I'm a, I'm a cheerleader for SEL. Yes. You know, I've seen too, too many seven-year-olds who just, you know, who, my gosh, they're out of control in terms of their behavior, in terms of their emotions. And so having those skills are so important, but they're stepping stones. It's knowing your own emotions, knowing the emotions of others towards something more. And those are the core values, the virtues, the character strengths that really develop and make this sort of this North Star, this, this moral compass that I'm talking about. So SEL skills, those competencies are so important. 
but toward what? What kind of person do you ultimately want to be? And what kind of people do we in schools and in our communities want to foster and develop? So that is a perfect segue into the uh, CSED model standards that you <laughs> developed. Yes. <laughs> and these include the four dimensions of character, moral, performance, intellectual, and civic, yes. as well as the five skills of SEL, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. Right. Yeah, I, I wrote those over a year ago. They can be found on the character.org website on our homepage toward the bottom if you want to learn more about this CSED model standards. Uh, I wrote them for several reasons, uh, but one is to just braid together to really you know, connect the five competencies of SEL with the four you know, areas of character. And at character.org, we have been emphasizing recently moral character, honesty, integrity, caring, compassion, courage, along with performance character, right? The responsibility to show up on time, the responsibility to hand in work when, uh, then when, you know, when needed. Uh, but we hadn't really been looking at intellectual character. Curiosity. Scarlett, for me, when we were talking about purpose, I want to know what you're curious about. I want to know what you want to take a deep dive into and, and learn more about. You know, for my older son, it was film. He just loved film. And he's a filmmaker now, right? And it started when he was nine years old. And so what this curiosity is an intellectual character strength, right? It's not performance. It's not moral. And so I think intellectual character, also carefulness is part of intellectual character, right? That when you hand in something, you've tried to eliminate or at least reduce any mistakes. So you, you're careful about your work, um, but also you're, you're humble. Like the, I, I know a lot about film, but not everything. That humility is so important. And the last one is civic character. And a lot of times civic character kind of became part of moral character. And I've separated them out. I think fairness and respect, those are, those are character strengths of civic character. And I just think that we needed to kind of create this fourth area. There are others who, I, I didn't create these, there are others researchers who have been agreeing with me that these are these four areas. But the fourth area of civic character is contribution to the common good. Every first grader can contribute to the common good of the school and the community and beyond. Um, you know, with Earth Day just recently passing, how important it is for us to contribute to the common good of of the earth that we all share. So those are four areas of character. Um, I'm just gonna go on just a little longer and, and say what I'm so proud of in terms of the standards are the indicators for each one of them. I'm trained in developmental theory. So I spent so much time looking at honesty or respect, what it looks like for a K2 student versus a four or five student versus a 10th or 11th grade student. And so these indicators are developmentally sensitive. And that to me is really what makes the standards unique, where they're not just these broad standards, they get into specific behaviors, specific uh, understanding, uh, knowledge. And I think that the standards really are way, the way forward for us to really come together in terms of the SEL community and the character development community.
I completely agree because you know, when I saw them, I went crazy for them and asked permission right away if we could incorporate them into everything that we do at the Choose Love Movement. And we, we've done that. So these are fully uh, uh, just ensconced in everything that we do at Choose Love. And they're amazing. And I encourage everyone that's listening to go check them out because they're, they're, it's just a, it's a fuller solution. Yes. And, and, and guideposts along the way of what, how we know young people are understanding and practicing these different behaviors. And, and, you know, a lot of times curiosity is just to come back to that. It's just not valued in school. And so how do we kind of trumpet that? How do we lift that up? And so it really becomes something that every school strives toward. And school is such an important place because you had mentioned earlier that this starts in the home Mm -hmm. and that's so true. But I often use myself as an example that I, you know, I I had good parents, um, but I wasn't taught this in school. And so I got to be an adult at 44 years old. I didn't really know that there was anything that I could do to help make the world a better place. I looked at things that were going on, but I thought I'm just one person. Um, And I've learned these things as an adult. So I just want to say that to everybody who's listening. you can learn these skills, tools, and attitudes at any time in your life. And, and sometimes I remember um, being at a conference uh, that was uh, focused on trauma. Mm-hmm. And they said that a lot of the trauma that they were seeing in schools came from the home. Mm. And I had this almost like this lightning bolt because we had released our school-based program and it went through me and I thought, I've made a huge mistake. That's what I thought initially. I should have started with programming in the home Mm -hmm. because I've learned these skills and tools as an adult and we need to start there, which is why now we have the the home program. But so important that we all have an open mind that we we not only learn these things, I mean, it's, it's one thing to have them in our heads, but then we need to practice them every single day. And I like to say that life is this beautiful thing that it gives us opportunities to practice every day. Yeah, yeah. It is, um, as you're speaking, uh, I, what kept on coming up in my mind is uh, David Brooks and a book that he wrote uh, called The Second Mountain. And it's really about Uh, we are striving even from first grade to build our resume. And there are certain performance character values that help us build that the resume virtues, right? And yet what we really want are at the end of the day are the eulogy virtues. You know, if you ever go into um, a funeral to listen to somebody, they're not talking about, boy, he showed up to work every day on time. That's important, but that she was caring. Um, that, that she loved her family, you know, whatever it is, that those are the eulogy virtues. And yet they get de-emphasized in schools because we're just focusing on the resume virtues. So how do we bring together a, a school culture that is able to, to knit together both of those, those you know, kinds of, of, of performances, you know, the kind of 
uh, resume virtues that are help us to be successful, help my son to be the filmmaker he wants to be, but also the eulogy virtues that are going to help him be the kind of person he's striving to become. And that's our, I think our challenges as people who care about schools and families is to kind of not make everything so focused on success, but have it be focused on flourishing, as you say. How are you doing? How's your well-being? Are you striving to become the best person you can be? Those are the questions that every parent and every school should be asking. And it's such a good reminder. I think we're reminding, you're reminding me <laughs> and we're <laughs> reminding our listeners that, that, you know, those are the priorities in life. Uh, how are we living our dash, right? Yeah. Every single day. Yeah. Um, I, I recently uh, had a few minor, minor health issues, but it really made me remember, gosh, every single day yeah. counts. And, uh, and we all go through difficulty in life to a certain degree. Everybody has, has faced hardship and it's really um, those skills and tools that help us manage that hardship and grow through it and be strengthened by it. It's so interesting. There's this chart that I sometimes share that show that the top five regrets on your deathbed, mm -hmm. uh, and this was studied <laughs> evidently, right. are the same uh, top five um, uh, attributes of post-traumatic growth, of growing yeah. through difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why isn't that emphasized in schools? You know, why, why can't that be part of the curriculum? And I don't mean formal curriculum. I'm talking about the culture of the school that we emphasize those five practices of well-being, of flourishing, uh, of character. Uh, that's, that is the big change that needs to occur in our schools. But again, it starts in the family. And it also starts in after-school programs as well, you know, in terms of so many young people think about their coach or think about their uh, instructor in dance or any other as, as sort of that person who does listen to me, who does care about me. Mm -hmm. And so how do we make those programs important? And finally, at the end, uh, and I'm hiring a number of people right now, Scarlett, so I am striving to practice this as opposed to just preach it. Um, is hire for character, train for skills, right? If I really believe that, I have to practice that right now. And I have to share that with others who are hiring people, right? Hire for character, hire for the kind of person they are and are striving to become, as opposed to a, a, a set of skills that are here today and may change tomorrow. Character isn't uh, that sort of here today, gone tomorrow. It stays with us, it, it endures, it's part of our, if you will, mark. That's where, where the word character comes from. So hire for character. I have to practice that now as well. I, I love my team actually, because we practice what we preach and they call me out on my <laughs> mistakes. And I love that so that I can practice and, and learn from my mistakes and be a better person. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And they're showing integrity, right? As opposed to like, oh, I can't tell the boss, you know, no. I mean, you have created a culture where people can contribute and people can voice. And so it, it is that 
that important throughout the lifespan is what I'm saying is character is that important yet we don't really seem to value it in schools as much as we should. And let me just say, both my parents were uh, former, you know, were teachers. Um, so many educators get into education because they have that caring spirit. They have that nurturing spirit and somehow the culture of the school building can zap it out of us. So I'm asking all the educators to kind of, you know, take that courage moment, you know, flex your courage muscle and reinstill back into your building that caring atmosphere, that caring nutrient that you know builds, you know, effective and, and happy people. And we've seen so many educators do that. And then yeah. it creates a ripple effect and it really does make a difference. You can do it even as a single individual. Yes. That have your courage moment right there. You know, I'm going to transform my school. And, and we do, you know, in terms of our national schools of character, we do hear uh, these anecdotes. Of, it started with one teacher or one counselor or one, you know, and it just started with her and she built this, this engine, this momentum of, no, it's going to transform our entire school now. And it has. So one person is all it takes to start that spirit, that energy. And you listening, you can be that one person or you probably are that one person right. already. <laughs> exactly. So um, this might be an obvious question, but how does character intersect with diversity, equity, and inclusion? That is a, a great question and one that I am personally struggling with. Uh, I became president of character.org uh, in late March of uh, 2020, right before uh, George Floyd's murder and and now murder at the time killing. And I had several board members like, what are we going to say? You know, what are we going to do? And I, I froze Scarlett. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want it to just be virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. uh, but I knew I had to, and we had to as an organization stand up for this moment. So you mentioned our March uh, forum. Uh, we had nearly 1,000 people, 990 people attend the, uh, the forum virtually uh, over three days. But my favorite moment was a panel discussion. And uh, the title of this uh, panel discussion was how to think about race when developing your school's culture of character. And we had five educators, four of whom were black or brown principals or superintendents talk about race as it relates to developing a school character. And it comes right back to caring. Uh, it comes back to understanding that language is so important the way that, uh, and by the way, not just language, one uh, principal in New Jersey, Latina, she said that in where her country, where she's from, uh, they don't look at adults in the eye. You know, so it's just understanding those uh, behaviors, those traditions in ways that are challenging for each of us as, as white educators, but so important. And uh, we are doing more to really make sure that equity is fused into everything we do related to the 11 principles framework. For example, I, I said the word, you know, uh, fairness as before is like one of the, you know, core virtues. Mm -hmm. Well, what does that look like? In a, in a country that has not been fair to black and brown people. 
So we can talk about fairness in terms of, you know, as, as a virtue, as something that's theoretical, but in practice, there is so much that is not fair. So we need to really be more attentive at the language that we're using. At the same time, that equity and diversity has to be stitched and, and layered into everything we're doing. We still believe in performance character that take responsibility for where you are to be a better person tomorrow. And that's part of it as well. And so we're gonna hold on to what works, but change and or evolve where we have to be more understanding of where there may be some gaps in the language that we use and the approaches that we take. And I think that goes right back to moral courage. Yeah. Right, having the moral courage to do that, to have the tough conversations, to be open about our own mistakes and, and personal growth and, and that caring that we talked yeah. about before as well. Yeah. Um, but that also leads us into the topic of forgiveness, <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. um, I think that um, forgiveness has to be included when we have this conversation. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, I, I've been studying the virtues uh, for you know, almost 30 years now. Uh, there's not a single virtue that I haven't dabbled in in terms of trying to understand it, including the virtue of wisdom, by the way, uh, which is one of the most difficult virtues to really unpack. But of all the virtues that I, I found to be most transformative, gratitude is second, forgiveness is number one. It really has is by far the most difficult virtue or strength to work on. Uh, and a, we know this from the research that it's easier just to hold on to the pain, to hold on to the hurt, to hold on to the anger than to let it go. And we also know in terms of forgiveness that sometimes it's a cognitive achievement. I know I need to let this go and forgive. And other times it's an affective, it's an emotional achievement. My heart is telling me to let it go. And so you also have to find out what language is working for you that really is, uh, is the way to, uh, to your forgiveness path. Um, it is something that I know over the 30 years of, of studying forgiveness, but also funding forgiveness research. Uh, it is so important for us to have this be part of our practice. And where do we learn that? Where do we learn to practice forgiveness? In the home, at school? church, mosque, or synagogue? I don't know. But we need to create more practice of forgiveness behaviors. And that's part of what your program is about. And I think that's what makes it so special and so unique. It is a, by the way, to me, a moral, uh, it's moral character. Forgiveness is moral character. Sometimes you just need to forgive yourself. You know, is so interesting when, so we took nurturing, healing, love, Jesse's chalkboard message, and then we took the definitions and that's how we came up with the, uh, the formula for choosing love and then his example of courage, but then also obviously everyday examples of courage, the courage mm -hmm. to get out of bed and put your best foot forward. Um, but when, so healing literally means forgiveness. Yeah. And yeah. when, when, People, the people that were around me that I was working with to develop the programming heard that I wanted to put forgiveness in the program. All of them said, that is way too lofty a topic. You can't teach kids that and, uh, and, and nobody's really going to want to learn that. 
And here's the interesting thing. So we went ahead and did it uh, because I knew how important it was to me and, mm-hmm. and, and, and how life-changing and, yeah. um, here's the interesting thing when I go around to schools and this still blows my mind, Arthur, uh, I say, I ask kids all ages, Mm -hmm. what's your favorite character value? What's Mm -hmm. the one that you practice every day? Now I would think that they would say courage, right. Or compassion. Compassion, Really? Yeah. Yeah. Or even gratitude. I mean, come on, let's be real. And they say forgiveness. I did not know that. Yes. Wow. Why do you think that mind. is? Why? Everything Why do you think that's mind. the one that pops into their head? So I've asked, I say, why, what you're kidding me? Forgiveness. Why? And they say, because it's a superpower wow. because it feels so good to mm. let it go. Mm. Wow. And, and they say that that's the character value that they practice the most. And, and I, I get it you know, being a big advocate for forgiveness myself and sharing my own story of forgiveness all over the place. But, but I just, you know, so it turns out, it turns out that we, as you said, are the ones that don't really understand it. We don't really know what it is, but kids, when you teach Mm -hmm. it to them, Mm -hmm. um, how to do it, what the benefits are for the forgiver. Yeah. They, they do it and they love it and they practice it every day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many stories. Again, this is an example where people coming in can share their story or forgiveness that it'll just be powerful. It will shower the young person in ways that will, you know, the effect will stay there. And so we, but when do we have that opportunity? And there's also, you know, literature around forgiveness as well. So there's different ways that we can braid this, this practice into the school um, in which it's not there right now. When I first started getting involved in character.org and this, the importance of restorative practices, you know, trying to avoid punishment and, and, and figure out other ways of, of looking at wrong behavior than just punishment, Mm-hmm. Is forgiveness been in your, you know, uh, understanding? Has it been integrated into restorative practices, or not as much as you would hope? Um, no, I think that it is. I think that it is, uh, and I've seen it at work in schools um, where they'll bring both the parties in, and they'll they'll use restorative practices and talk about forgiveness and and teach it. I think that that's, that's important, but Mm -hmm. I think sometimes in that environment, it's kind of like something that the kids feel like, okay, in order to get through this, (laughs) this is what we have to do and say, um, as opposed to, I think it should be used in addition to teaching forgiveness. So you Mm -hmm. really, truly understand the, uh, the way to do it, but also what we focus on at Choose Love are the benefits, the kind of what's in it for me, the benefits of of forgiveness, because a lot of times, and and even most adults, I think, think that forgiveness means that you're giving a gift to somebody who hurt you that absolutely doesn't deserve it because (laughs) they don't don't care. Sometimes they don't even know that they've hurt you. Um, And when in reality, forgiveness is really a gift 
that you give yourself. Yeah. And, and there are decades of research on the physical, mental, and emotional yeah. benefits of, of being the one that forgives. And so we, we really do focus on it from that point of view, but <clears throat> I do want to share a, a story. Um, I was talking with a group of at-risk youth mm-hmm. and usually my focus had been forgiving someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, well, definitely, you know, these kids are, have been taken out of the home they're in uh, uh, different places uh, to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. And so certainly, you know, they're, they're, I, I need to talk about forgiving perpetrators in their case, um, people who clearly need forgiveness. Um, and I was uh, corrected mm-hmm. <laughs> by one of the young adults. And they said, you know, for us, the most important thing is self-forgiveness. Yeah. And, and I said, <clears throat> excuse me. I said, how can that be? Because you know, you're know you in a position where someone has done something that's wrong to you. There's nothing that you need to forgive yourself for. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, it's, it's hard for us to look at adults and to think that there's something wrong with them. It makes us feel unsafe. So we take a lot of that blame on ourselves. And so really mm-hmm. that, that, requires us to, to forgive ourselves first. And it really started me on this path um, because I'm still learning and growing so much um, of the importance of forgiving ourselves because we hold on to so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I come at it from a a different orientation, but I think it's the self-forgiving is the uh, end result. Again, Um, again, coming back to the air force Academy, one of the generals asked me to look into perfectionism because a lot of these cadets, especially the first year cadets, had never gotten a B on a test before, had never come in second in a race before, you know, had not ever been the most popular person at their school before. And they were so driven to be perfectionists that the moment that they were uh, not excelling, it punctured who they were. And they need to learn, they needed to learn self-forgiveness. It's okay not to be the best at everything because at at the academies, you can't be the best at everything. And so that self-forgiving, that idea of just taking down a notch of your own expectation is so difficult for a lot of young people who have been thrivers, you know, who have been people who are really, uh, you know, sort of excelling. Uh, and that's where I, I first saw the, the how important it is to self-forgive. It's all right that I just got a 91 as opposed to a 99 on this calculus exam. That's an act of forgiveness, self-forgiveness. That's, that's something I've never had to worry about because I am so <laughs> far from a perfectionist that, uh, that I'm you, all right with that. But you see why they had so much trouble. You know, they, they just, it, 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 it tightened them up to a point where, who am I if I can't be the best at everything? And they needed to let go. They needed to self-forgive. And um, it, it's just something that is, again, we're talking about really, really lifelong skills, habits, behaviors, and if you will, part of your identity that if you don't, why start when you're 30, right? Why can't we start when we're three and really begin to understand the importance of forgiveness, the importance of compassion and caring, the importance of courage and so forth. 
this is what character.org is trying to do is to make it be part of what it means to live a full life, a flourishing life. It's so important. You know, I remember creating the programming for us and um, we had all sorts of educators and professionals that were doing this. So we would get together late at night and the last quarter of every conversation we ever had was, oh my gosh, I wish I had this growing up. And then the thinking, what would my life have looked like if I had been taught these things, it would have been different. You know, we were all, we're all grateful for our lives the way they are, but if we had been taught these skills, tools, and attitudes when we were young, it definitely would have shaped our lives. And uh, so important, you know, I, um, I had a, a conversation with Molly Hudgens. Mm -hmm. She is an educator, um, out West. She actually, um, single-handedly stopped a, a school shooter who came mm. to her school with a loaded gun. Um, and she talked him through it with caring. And, uh, so I was listening to her, her talk that she gave and she was saying that 100% of school shootings are preventable. And I've never heard anyone mm. other than myself say that mm. Mm. because they are, but nobody says that. So anyway, she was saying that, that got my attention, but she said with one word and I was on the edge of my seat and I was thinking, I know what the word is. It's love. It's love. It's love. And she said, hope. Mm. Mm. Wow. And so Mm. how do you think that, I mean, because we know kids are, I mean, and, and the, the, the issues that we see in the world, Arthur, um, substance abuse, suicide, um, mental illness, violence, bullying, they seem to be escalating overall. And, uh, and so I know in, in my case, I know that for, um, for, for our school shooter, he had absolutely no hope. I I saw that as an absolute truth. Um, and it was a, it was actually a lifetime yeah. of pain and suffering, disconnection, isolation, abuse that brought him to that. He, he got to a point where he had absolutely no hope. And, uh, and, and I believe that what you've created, um, what's being released by character.org, these CSED standards are a way to infuse yeah. hope yeah. into every individual. Do you agree? I do. Um, I, you know, we didn't talk about what we were going to be talking about today. And so you really have, have moved me because uh, I left the school district of Philadelphia uh, because I saw an absence of hope in the students that I was working with. And it gnawed at me, Scarlett. I couldn't let it go. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I literally went up to Harvard to, to study hope. It was the first paper I ever wrote in, in graduate school was on the etiolation of hope. I had, of course, I had to use a big word, right? The bleaching away of hope, the absence of hope. Wow. Um, in, in the young people that I, I worked with and, and what, it, what it is psychologically uh, and how it, it it um, imperils us in terms of 
um, why would we, in my case, why, why a student would drop out of school um, as a 14 year old um, and just the absence of hope for a better future for themselves. Um, I want to just answer your question about this in terms of uh, for the last seven or eight years, I've been really focused on self-talk and how to refute the negative self-talk that we all have with positive self-talk. And I think people uh, who have lost hope have, have no language, self-talk, that they can refute those negative uh, messages that they, they are hearing in themselves. And so I think that's one skill that has to be taught. taught, taught. And, and I know you're so focused on the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, so those with the fixed mindset said, I can't do this. I can't, can't. And the, those with the, the growth mindset, just add two words. I can't do it. Not yet. Not yet. And that's all we really have to sort of instill in our young people. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of things you don't, can't do right now or don't understand. Not yet. Mm -hmm. And that to me is this sort of the building block to, to refuting that negative self-talk and replacing it with positive self-talk. And that to me is really what, again, we don't teach this day in, day out. We only teach it when there's an intervention, when there's somebody who is not behaving well, as opposed to the power of positive self-talk. That to me is something that every school, every home, every person should be practicing. You know, that's how the Choose Love movement started, Arthur. Um, I got up at Jesse's funeral and I said, um, this whole tragedy started with an angry thought <laughs> in Adam Lanza's head. Mm -hmm. And I pictured him as a little boy having an angry thought without the tools or nurturing environment. And so I just asked everybody that day, uh, you know, the amazing thing is an angry thought can be changed. Yes. And I asked everybody to start thinking what they think about and to change one angry thought a day into a loving thought. I said, by doing that, you'll make yourself feel better. You'll positively impact those around you. And through the ripple effect, you will make this a safer, more peaceful and loving world. Everybody you know, flew out to the four corners of the United States. And I started getting calls, emails, texts about a week later saying that one simple act had yeah. completely changed their lives. And I knew that I was onto something. It was something that I practiced, positive yeah. affirmations. They're yeah. all over my house yeah. <laughs> for the boys and I. So I know that they work. And, you know, with our inherent negative bias, so we focus on the negative to keep us safe. That's why you have those recurring negative thoughts in your mind. And it is, it is simply just turning them around into positive thoughts. And we know through neuroscience that that can, that can really change our brains and yeah. change our outlook. And you're right. It's so important and, yeah. and really essential for having that hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that, that to me is where it, that's the fertilizer right there is taking the negative self-talk, making it into positive. That's the fertilize fertilization of, of hope. Um, one last thing about self-talk though, um, a big shout out to a researcher at the university of Michigan, Ethan Cross. Uh, Ethan has done this amazing research that if you put uh, your third person name into your positive self-talk, 
it even has more benefits. So instead of saying, I can do it, if I say, Arthur, you can do it, it's even more predictive of the positive outcome that we're talking about in terms of, of confidence uh, and hope. So I just wanted to share that with you know, those who are watching and listening is, is working with young people to have them use their name and, and in, in any positive affirmation that they are uh, repeating, it seems to really make a positive difference. I love that. I just made a note of that as well. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So I, I truly believe, Arthur, that that you and those that you work with and character.org is working towards making this a safer, more peaceful mm. and loving world. We know now when we look at the pathway to violence um, and, you know, we've been talking about our negative bias. We've been focusing on the attack end, but really, really, it's the school culture that is the most important part of school safety. And, and that's what we've been talking about this entire time yeah. is cultivating a, a loving, caring, connected, compassionate school yeah. culture. Yeah. It's the yeah. number one way to have a safe school, but then that, that, helps individuals grow into, well, I like to say flourishing and yeah. successful adults. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, if, if you look at, at the Choose Love formula, it says compassionate, uh, compassion in action, right? Yes. And that is how I, I define character. When people ask me, I say it's goodness in action, mm. goodness in action. And so, you know, if we have more goodness in the world, we are going to have a safer school community. We're going to have a safer, safer cities and safer nations. Um, goodness in action. And it comes in lots of sizes and shape, but it's, it's all about creating more good and more goodness. And so that to me is how I think about all of these, you know, character values or virtues or, or, or um, you know, uh, character strengths that they produce more goodness. And that's what I think the world needs more of. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh, Arthur. Thank you so much for today. This was an incredible conversation. I got so much out of it. Um, I'm going to delve deeper into the 11 principles in a subsequent mm -hmm. podcast. So I'm excited oh. to do that. Um, but I encourage all of our listeners to please go to the character.org website, sign up for the forum, check out the CSED standards, <laughs> implement them, um, be part of that community because it's so important and doing so many great things. And Arthur, I just appreciate you so much. Thank you, Scarlett. I appreciate you right back. And I look forward to being supporting you and supporting your team and supporting all those who are are involved in the choose love movement uh in the months and years to come thank you for all you do thank you so much it's all part of us we can all choose love it'll lift you up if you let it in let the Thanks for listening to the Choose Love Podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. 
Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We're giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, ChooseLoveMovement.org.